0: Hey guys, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast, Austin Nasso here, sorry for the delay in releasing this episode, I was at my lake house last week with my girlfriend and unfortunately there was no service at all anywhere in upstate New York so I could not post this earlier but um, either way I think you guys will enjoy this episode. I interviewed my old improv coach from college, Jared Popkin, who was a uh, comedic actor and content producer uh he has worked on videos that have received millions of views on buzzfeed as well as chris reinecker's channel he's both been in them and been behind the scenes in videos so he knows what it takes to be both in front of a camera and behind one uh we talk about a ton of cool things in this interview including what goes into producing um when do you rebrand your channel if you should Um, how does one assemble an effective team how does one take her youtube channel to the next level Uh, how do you navigate uh, interpersonal conflicts uh, when you have the same creative vision and how is creative control divided so we talk about more than that but that's just a sample Uh, anyway without further ado please enjoy this episode thanks I'm here with my friend, Jared Popkin. He's my old improv coach from UCLA, our sidekicks improv team. And he's a very cool guy. He's a producer, comedic actor, improviser, improv teacher. And he's just always working on cool new projects. And I'm just always fascinated to get advice from him whenever I have the opportunity. So welcome, Jared. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Austin. Appreciate it, man.
0: Yeah, of course. So what I I'm just so fascinated because you're always working on like a different project. Every time I talk to you, you are just like selling a different show or producing something else. And it just seems like you're constantly grinding. And I'm just like wondering how do you end up balancing all the different things that you're working on?
1: Um, That's a good question. I, I don't know. If, well, yes, it is overwhelming. I think that anyone who chooses any profession in entertainment, as a broad umbrella industry, I think it's always going to be overwhelming no matter like where you're at or how happy you are, you know? But, uh, for me, I don't know if I have like a one way of doing that. I just know that it takes a long time to say yes to things, which is not always good, but so far it's worked in the sense that I don't like to back off of projects. If I tell you I'm going to do it, you have me for 150%. I'm going to give you my full effort. So knowing that, Um, I don't say yes as easily as, you know, when you're younger, you say yes to everything. You want to be working on everything. But as I get a little bit older, I'm not that old, but as I get a little bit older, it's easier to say no to things because it really allows me to have the time to work on things. I really want to be a part of.
0: That's really cool. I think, yeah, most people are definitely like over yesing because they just want to do everything. And I feel like I'm kind of like that where I'll just say yes, 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 yes. And then realize, oh, I'm overwhelmed and I can't commit.
1: Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I still say yes to things that you know, in a perfect world, I wouldn't have to or don't want to. But you say yes for whatever reason, whether it be the people you want to work with or certain other whatever factors there are. And um, but yeah, as you get older and where you're more happy with what you're doing and where you're at, and you don't have to do all that kind of legwork and crazy networking stuff, I think it gets a little easier to say no to things. That's cool. So what,
0: how then- do you decide? What's your process like for deciding if you're going to do something
1: i have a lot of like personally i and this is not i don't think this is needed for everyone i have a lot of uh creative integrity in my work that i i just believe in making really good work over how many i mean it's great that a lot of people want to see certain things that you make and you can distribute something to millions of people however that is but it's also just great to make something that you're proud of i always try to make something that if i was a consumer of it separate from the creator or even involved in it whatsoever. Am I proud of this? Do I enjoy it? And I I try to really remain true to that.
0: So like when you're choosing another project, you want to make sure it's like, it aligns with your kind of like creative integrity.
1: Yeah, in some capacity, it doesn't have to be a perfect match every single time. I like making things for other people. Like I like shooting, you know, random sketches here and there for people that, you know, I didn't write this script and I didn't even really get to look and read it over as much as I would love to do in every project I'm a part of because that's not where I'm at yet. But at the same time, I like having voices that I can get behind in some capacity and support artistically.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, because you work with Chris Reinecker a lot, and yeah. you guys you produce a lot of his sketches or produce with him. How does it work yeah uh
1: well chris and i go way back chris uh kind of like snuck into an audition that we both were in essentially in chicago i you know I, i'm from florida but i i basically grinded my teeth and trained in chicago at second city and io and the annoyance and all those places and while i was there i was doing a show with mainly women writers and women cast and the two men in the show were chris reinecker and i and we became good buddies and that was years and years ago. And then when he started doing his stuff at Buzzfeed, we kept in contact, uh, and I was still living in Chicago and we started writing together and creating together and we work well together. We have, we have a certain way of communicating that I think has grown over the years and we're very close. So. So you our- were
0: working together while you were in Chicago and he was in LA.
1: Yeah. Uh, in the, in the beginning of our collaborating with, while he was at Buzzfeed, yes, he would be in LA, like just starting out with Buzzfeed and, uh, I was kind of, you know, we would throw ideas back and forth and then eventually one idea would turn into something where like, Oh, I'll, I'll come out to LA and we'll film this thing. Cause at, th- at that point in my career, it was just really exciting to be on a platform that would release to a lot of people and get to make it for a lot of people. That was something that I, I really wanted to try.
0: That's so cool. So that was what, like 2013, 2014.
1: Yeah. Around that time, I would say 2013, 2014, like right at the tail end. Yeah. Very cool. So when you say
0: you're producing things. I mean, producing is a huge term and I mean, it could, it encompasses a lot of work. What are the main things that you work on?
1: Oh, that's a cool question. Um, I, I I don't know if that's, I don't have a same answer for every project. Right. So like, I think depending on who I'm working with and how I'm working, my job as a producer can change because it does cover a lot of different things and there's not one producer doing all of the work, you know? (laughs) So there are times where I'm selling a project under my ideas or with a collaborator like Chris or other people that I would work with. And if you're selling it under your, under under your umbrella in a way you have to take on a lot more responsibility. It's literally building out a team. When I think of producing, I think of like building a puzzle and sometimes you have to do more of the puzzle. And then sometimes you're just brought on because you're really good at building puzzles in general or a certain part of it. And people need that. Sometimes I got asked to, you know, come on and just help with locations recently on a project do I specialize in that no not at all but I've, I've done it before so I can help you location scout and build a team that can help you get the thing that you're looking for and coordinate that with your team I don't have a problem doing that. I like doing that so you helped with-
0: build a location scouting team
1: yeah I mean and that just requires you know under I like to celebrate people's like unique strengths i think as i get older that was a big thing that i learned when i was young my big problem was competing with you know i would see someone that i admire one of my peers one of my friends and i would say oh they're really good at this thing and then i would try to get really good at this thing versus just understanding like oh that person's really good at this thing let them do that thing so then when i when i meet these people especially in los angeles you have all these people trying to make you know, film or TV or digital content, you have all these people doing it from all different perspectives. It's easy to kind of meet someone. that's like, Oh, you're really good at this thing for that example, locations. I just happen to run into this person. Oh, that's great. We should do that. But, but again, I, I don't specialize in specifically getting a location, but when, when you build a team out, you can use these people over and over if they're really good and, and they share, you know, likability in the work.
0: So what was that process like building a location team without having a much formal experience in location
1: scouting. Well, let Um, how'd you do so that? It was, I mean, it was kind of easy to be honest. It was just a matter of like anything. All right. What are we working with? What do we have financially? Cause you know, I, I my favorite creating is creating with people that are good more than like, are we selling out in any capacity for like a branded video that just gives us a lot of money to make this easy thing. Um, but yeah, I would say that for location teams, I just asked a friend of a friend, you know, you have connections, hey, I need this kind of location, it's for this person, this person, this is really my, the money I have to work with, it's not a lot or it is a lot, can you help out? And then you you build that team accordingly, I mean, if it was for a huge narrative script for a multi-million dollar studio, that would be handled a lot differently, but you know, the nice thing about some of these internet projects is this is a lot of guerrilla filmmaking, like this is on the ground, You're you're working with what you got.
0: That's very true. How, so like how much, if you, you know, want to build a team, for example, say you want a location scouting team, how much money would you need to have to even do something like that versus just doing it yourself?
1: You can totally
0: do it yourself.
1: I mean, again, like, I don't want to stick too much on locations. That was just a random thing yeah, I brought yeah, up. I, don't,
0: I, I was just, I wanted but, to dive into that because I thought it was a good yeah, practical but definitely, thing.
1: Um, again when you do any project it's a matter of what do you have to work with so there's i i would like to think that i'm good and getting better at understanding like what corners to cut you're always going to cut corners until you're you know even i'm sure they're cutting corners up in making the avengers movies they're still cutting corners so you're always trying to cut the corners for example a project that i just sold recently um for a digital series we i knew that i didn't have an crazy amount of money to work with on budget. But if I hired a certain camera crew that I've worked with before, they'll bring their own equipment, you know, and you've got to work that out with that team. But you have to build those relationships with people you've worked with in the past, just by being on projects, being on set together. You're all doing each other favors all the time, because when when you succeed, when you sell a show or when your friend sells a show and you work on it together, you're all succeeding.
0: Interesting. So Do you find that it's different building a team for people that are like unionized versus non-unionized?
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, without a doubt, especially if you're working with union. I mean, if you're working on a union project, you have to abide by union laws. There's a lot of things that you don't know about until you know about it. I didn't learn this um, for a very long time, but there are like random things you can't even consider unless you're there, which is like, oh, oh god these people need a fucking break every however many hours like yeah, i need to- then
0: they can't work that more than a certain amount and like they need yeah. to be fed and stuff like that yeah
1: and also that being said i think you should treat everyone like human beings even if it's a non-union project like you can't i've been on- I, as an actor i've been on non-union projects where they just completely took advantage of me and made me do things that in no way should have been allowed or for the sake of like we're out in the sun and it's a hundred degrees and you're making me carry all of this equipment to act on a street for some promo for a big network. And I'm doing this for eight hours with a very little break. Like you have to treat people like human beings, regardless of the set you're on, because again, you want to work with certain people again. Yeah, so in that part, I would always try my best to treat everything like a union set, even if it's not.
0: That's cool. What What's the main difference in, uh, like building a team that way? Is it, would you say it's like just the cost?
1: Well, yeah, you have to have a lot of, I mean, you have to have a lot of money to make, you know, the biggest and best things you can do. Or if you don't have a lot of money, you have to have a lot of assets and a lot of, um, I don't know the word I'm looking You have to have a lot of assets to play with. You have, if you're not going to give the money, like Buzzfeed is very common. They used to give us like $300 for a video, but, they're giving you $300 in cash. They're also giving you a film set and all of the people that are going to crew your set. And then they're giving you all the equipment. So it's not just $300. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. The value is way more. It's yeah, whatever that stuff would have cost, which could be like a thousand or more. A
1: few thousand. And also you can make a film set that feels and looks like a $500,000 film set with a couple thousand dollars. You shouldn't, scare yourself away. When I talk to writers, when I'm writing things, I always try to say like, don't worry about writing too ambitiously, just write what you want to write and then try your best to get that done that way. And then scale back when needed, but don't not write something because you're feeling like you're being too ambitious. That would be, you know, you're killing your own project before anybody else's. That's
0: interesting. I I feel like that a lot when I'm writing sketches and stuff. I, I limit what we, even let ourselves write because I feel like, how are we going to do that? How could we
1: possibly? So I would say you could still do that, but later on, like if you want to write a sketch where it's a guy having whatever kind of conversation with a bunch of people on a boat, obviously that's not an easy production. If you're just a kid coming out of college or, you know, whatever age you are and you don't have a boat or the money for that. Yeah. That's impossible to do, but still write it, try your best to figure out, well, who do I know that may have a boat? Like, the new age of internet allows us to release content to masses without having all these other authorities that be telling us how to do it. So if you can shoot it, you can release it and there may be ways to shoot it. And if there's not put it in a dresser somewhere, keep it in a note in your phone and then wait until later in your life or that opportunity arises that you can shoot that sketch on a boat.
0: That's cool. So it's just like still write the sketch. Don't yeah. Don't like hold it off to be like, I need, what can I work on right now?
1: Yeah. A friend told me that I think and I don't know if this is true, but I always remember this story when I think about this is like that that initial scene in Inglorious Bastards with Tarantino and the milkman scene. And it's like that long scene and it's the introduction to Christoph Waltz. And it's a beautiful scene and it's crazy. Apparently, he wrote that like 20 years before he like ever got around to writing the most of the script. And I think that's a good example of that, of like that that scene was easy to write in that moment. As a writer, I can write a scene if I'm feeling it but I may not have it like for the long haul and I can put it in my phone. I can put it in my computer. I could do whatever I want with it. And then maybe three years from now I can find this thing and like get reinvigorated and work, work it out.
0: That's really cool. That's a common theme I hear is to just like have a lot of content ready to go.
1: Yeah. I've got hundreds of like pieces of content, whether it be in an idea or a full fledged script or a fleshed out narrative idea in some capacity, I have hundreds of different pieces of content.
0: Wow. That's so interesting because it's almost like there's two sides of like, there's content that you have that's released and published. And then there's content that you have like a store of and you actually need both because when the bigger opportunities come, it seems like this, the store of contents, what's really gonna like, let you make stuff and work.
1: Yeah. And, and also just past that it's a writing is definitely a muscle. It's definitely a workout in itself. It's not fun for me to do all the time. Even collaborative writing where I'm like laughing and having a good time, it's still hard. It, it, it requires like a sense of critique that I don't always like to put on myself. So I have to talk myself into it sometimes. And when I get to that point where I want to write, I have to work that muscle. I have to keep doing it. So I stay sharp enough at it to be good. And also when I write something just enough, maybe that's what it takes to like get me back into that mode later on when I reread the scene that I forgot I had in my, in my phone. And now I'm like, Oh, this is really good. I want to work on this. Sometimes you just need that for yourself later on, you know?
0: Yeah. I feel kind of similar. I mean, I don't know. I feel for me, it's a little extreme. Like I really like make. I love making content. I love being on stage, but mm-hmm. um, and I mean, I love making sketches, but I just have the hardest time writing like just sitting down and writing i find it very daunting and not fun and intimidating
1: i don't know if a lot of like and this is not for everyone because i know a lot of i know plenty of great writers that love to write but a lot of the people i know in my personal life that i would consider great writers don't necessarily love doing it I, i think that it's hard i think if you're good at it you know how hard it is you acknowledge what kind of like hatred you're about to put on yourself and you're going to be your own worst critic. And it's going to require a lot of self doubt and just you being upset for long periods of time. And it's going to be work. And I think that the better you get at it, the more, you know, that comes with it. So I wouldn't say it's the most fun thing to do, but there's a reason we do it. I can't put my finger on it, but I have to do it every day.
0: How how much do you write every day?
1: I write at least an idea a day. If, if that's, I'm not going to give you like, Oh, I have to write, you know, three paragraphs. I don't do that. I'm not that good about it or diligent yet, but I write at least a new idea a day. Minimum.
0: That's cool. I think that's a, like a great place to just keep up momentum.
1: Yeah. It just keeps you, it keeps you going. I mean, there are certain days where I'll write a full script. I don't have, I don't have a like a compass of where I have to start and where I have to stop, but I know I at least have to do a new idea for later.
0: I think that's really smart. I wanna try doing that. I just feel bad when I don't I I like I feel bad if I (laughs) sit down and write and get frustrated, but then I also obviously if I don't do anything, that's not good. I just get the anxiety of
1: it. Again though, like the next day is the next day, you can't I deal with anxiety and stress and all that stuff and it keeps you down and eventually you just gotta be like, Well, that was yesterday (laughs) and you gotta start you know? I agree, so.
0: so I actually want to go back to the team thing, so I know we went on change about writing, which I find really interesting, but I'm really just for myself, I'm trying to like figure out you know how to this idea of building a team is just so fascinating to me, and I understand you need to pick people that have strengths that complement everyone else's weaknesses, and it's just. I almost like don't even know where to start if I'm working on a project, like how to think about building a team. So like, do you have, what's the entry point for you for maybe like an example project and how you would go about, uh, you know, building a team for that project?
1: Yeah. So my background again is Chicago. I started when I was pretty young. I moved to Chicago when I was about 19 and I started doing improv and, uh, Basically, I'm going to do a long story that leads into your answer, which is okay. it's basically understanding that what whatever that project is, what is the, what does the team require? What is that team going to look like? So if it's a film, I noticed in Chicago that I was surrounded by a bunch of artists and people that could be in the projects, people that knew how to act or knew how to be a storyteller or knew how to be on stage. And I didn't see a lot of people, at least in my circles, that were behind the scenes making it being the producers, the the film, the cinematographers, the DPs, the camera ops, the camera ACs, the gaffers. You didn't see a lot of those in, these, in the artistic community that I was in. So when I moved to LA, coming from an area where I knew all the artists, I had a lot of friends that were very good as an artist and as a performer, but I didn't have nearly enough friends on the technical side of this. So the exciting part for me was always meeting people like at BuzzFeed or when you work at a different company in that vein like a jash or when you work at a project that you're producing for go 90 or something random on the internet the internet really opened up for me a lot of creators that haven't gotten to where they all want to be yet all these guys want to be crewing the biggest movies for all these studios but they're right now they're just making content for the internet and right now they're young enough and good enough where we can all grind together so I, i get i i like being able to grow with teams that i've been able to see evolve while we evolve you know creating as one unit if that makes sense
0: yeah totally makes sense Just because in california
1: that, yeah.
0: the tech side
1: i mean you have the people in los angeles that are like i didn't come here to be an actor i came here to be a cinematographer i came here to be a gaffer i came here to you know do whatever and it's like oh i never met people like you so i i like talking to those people i like befriending those people they're awesome guys and women that are making stuff behind the scenes that don't get all the glory but those are the people that are so important to the creative process. So for me, it was a huge, when I first got to LA, that was a huge part of my mission was to befriend and kind of gather people that are creatively working from the other side of this. Because I know all the improvisers that I like to know. Not that everyone I've ever met, but I know good improvisers. I know good actors. I know good directors. I know good writers, but I don't know a great camera operator. I don't know a great sound guy. So you have to be on sets to do that. And your talent has to bring you to those sets and you have to be willing to work really hard. And then when you work really hard and you're nice with people and treat them like human beings, you should work with them again.
0: So have you met a lot of these crew people from working on sets you'd say?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're either, I mean, for me it was either meeting them through a friend because I acted on a set and that they happened to be shooting or I was producing for another friend and he brought me on, but he already had hired on, or she had already hired on um, a bunch of crew. And then you're on set and you realize, wow, this person's really good at this, or this person's really good at this. And then, you know, there's a collective.
0: Interesting. So what kind of roles would you take on these sets originally?
1: Well, for me, I loved taking all the hats because I came from just, I thought for a little while I was just going to get to be an actor improviser who could write sometimes, And then working with, you know, people like Chris Reinecker and Brittany Ashley at BuzzFeed, you realize like, oh, I can ask to direct this. I can produce this one. I can do whatever. I wanted to wear as many hats as I could so that I can learn how to communicate with all these different departments because it it does fascinate me. It's like creatively fulfilling to understand why people are doing what they're doing as a whole on this thing
0: and that thing project that's so cool i mean you were just able to pick up all these different skills by experience that was the unique opportunity for buzzfeed um that so that seems like it was really influential and helpful for you um yeah
1: like my you know i wasn't ever full time by any means over there i just came in a lot and was working on a lot of videos with you know different people that i like to collaborate with and i made a lot of dear friends there Um, but the biggest takeaway definitely for me was not the money that they were paying me because it wasn't all that much. I was happy to just be getting paid at all to do something that I love, but I was happy that I could literally ask to direct something that would go out to a million people. So that was a good experience for me for sure. It was a very good, like learning and growth process.
0: That's really cool. So what kind of, uh, advice would you give to someone that wants to kind of like do the same thing, wear a lot of hats? but doesn't necessarily have that ability
1: to go, you know, we're kind of Buzzfeed set. I would say my dad always told me this and it sticks with me is uh luck equals preparation plus opportunity. So when someone says, Oh, that's so lucky you got that. Well, in a lot of ways, yes, but in a lot of ways, like you have to be prepared for that. So it's not like you'll hear this common thing of like, it's all about who you know. Well, when you, Meet them, what do you have to show them? What can you do? So, until that opportunity presents itself that allows you to start learning in a certain way or releasing to bigger amounts of people, you just need to be doing it for yourself. You need to be, however, that means if you want to sign up for classes, if you want to say, I'm an actor, I want to get better at acting, well, you're not going to get better just sitting and thinking about it. You have to go at least take a class or audition for a play. If you don't get the play, That's okay. Why didn't you get the play? Like, talk about it, take an audition course, make sure that you're always honing your ability so that that one day that you bump into the next Martin Scorsese on the street, it's not just a hello, goodbye. It's like, Oh wait, there's something here with this person. Let me stop and talk to them.
0: That's really cool. So for you, what kind of, uh, or how did you get some of those skills to at least have like a, you know, a basic level of knowing what you're doing? for the different BuzzFeed hats you wore, like directing or producing? Um, Did you do other things before that in those fields? Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. When I was in Chicago, I was on, I was very fortunate because, you know, like, and you know this being in the improv community, you can be on hundreds of improv teams that just never, like, stay together and they fall apart and they come together because you like each other but you're not serious about it. I was very fortunate that when I was living in Chicago, I was on a team called Blood Oath that – was very serious for a long time and we were not very good for a long time but we always were very serious and then we got very good and started honing it and just through doing live shows with them for years and being able to craft those sketch shows the way we wanted and really spend our time on it and then turn into start making like you know digital projects and doing more sketch comedy on camera that was my first you know real insight on a professional level, even though we weren't getting paid, it was as serious as we could be about it. So it was my first way of like, Oh, this is how we need to be. If we're doing this for real, awesome. first making this for your friends and you know, school project that made you realize that you like acting once upon a time.
0: That's, that's so awesome. So blood oath made digital content. That was like your first digital kind of content that you worked on
1: yeah and it was right around the same time i'd started doing stuff with chris at buzzfeed so i was doing that in chicago and then right at the end of that i started flying back and forth and then eventually i just moved to los angeles
0: okay cool so (laughs) what would be maybe today a an example of a, a typical project that you know you might work on an example project and then maybe kind of walk me through like what the whole process is like maybe a summary of like start to end, you know, working on a project where you're producing, say a Chris Reinecker sketch.
1: Yeah. I mean, for somebody like, you know, with Chris or with any YouTube creator, like anybody, you know, you, they would approach you and they would ask, Hey, I want to do this thing. And obviously I would love to see the script. So I'm, I get better and better at, you know, you sit with the script and you read it as a consumer. Okay. Do I like it? What do I like about it? What could be better? here are my notes. And then you sit back down, you read it as a producer and you go, okay, what do we physically need? If I've agreed to this, I'm going to produce it. So what do we physically need in terms of locations, characters, costuming, and you know, all the other, you know, yada, yada, yada that everyone has to do. And then you, you realize, okay, what money do we have to work with? Where do I allot this? Do I pay my, I have to pay actors. I have to pay my crew. What money is left over after that to get all this other stuff? What do I can, what can I do for free? No project is the same, but they all can be, you know, built in similar ways. Something I like doing is not always working on just, you know, narrative projects that are like long, you know, series. I love that's my passion is to do television and film, but I also do enjoy, you know, a roundtable discussion masterclass style project. It's not creatively as fulfilling. I'm not on camera, but I enjoy giving content like that so that people can learn. Um, And then you'd build that separately. I know I'm kind of going all over the table with this answer, but no, this is
0: cool. I think this is really helpful.
1: Yeah. I mean, all projects that you build are a little different. So if I'm building a project that I care about with a script. So if I wrote a script with a collaborator and we're writing and then all of a sudden, okay, this is going to be a real thing. And it's got these characters. You would have to do a casting process, you know, and you have to do your locations and what producers have I worked with that I want to work with before that I want to work with again. And, You know, you get that. Who's the best director for this? Even my favorite director may not be the best director for this. Who is that person? What does my team look like? And then for an unscripted project that's, you know, again, in a different vein, oh, this is more of like four people sitting at a table talking about their profession. You would do that a little differently. Okay, my crew, I need to pay my talent. What kind of location? What does the table look like? What is that setting? I enjoy that just differently, but as much.
0: So, say you're working on a YouTube project, like a YouTube video. What kind of key roles do you need to have on set, do you think? For like a sketch comedy video. And I like to use Chris Reinekers as an example because they're pretty well produced and
1: Oh, thank you. Um I like them a lot. Yeah, I appreciate that. And you know, we appreciate that. He's very good at what he does um i would say it depends on again it depends on that project but if it's again like a chris reinecker sketch for example when we shot the honest series at buzzfeed that's one of my favorite series we made over there it was very much about like him and kelsey understanding that dialogue understanding the world because it it, like looked easy when you watch it but it's very hard to make something where no one can talk with anything but subtext so the acting was a huge um, point of emphasis on what we wanted we needed good actors so we were more serious about casting actors that could really understand and conceptualize this kind of dialogue and, and delivery of it and the setting was fortunate well we we knew what we were able to work with if we wanted to do a first date being honest or if netflix and show was honest or if valentine's day was honest we had sets that we could use to oh we have a restaurant set we have that family room set for if netflix and chill like that was very easy working in a place like buzzfeed
0: okay so for your kind of collaboration it seems like you would do a lot of the okay this is our budget how can we make this work what could we put together and was or did you and chris both write the sketches or was it mostly chris
1: Chris and Kelsey actually did a lot of the legwork with the writing of that series specifically. Chris and I write together all the time. I do help in the writing. Um, I brought The Honest Idea up to Chris, but Chris is a phenomenal writer. He can sit and, and write a, a script very quickly. And our process specifically, my writing process changes with each person that I work with. But specifically with Chris, Chris is literally the one at the keyboard the majority of the time. And him and I do a lot of the consulting with him. It's a lot of back and forth.
0: Okay. Nice. I realize I'm saying cool to everything. I'm like getting, so I'm like, <laughs> cool, cool. Nice. Cool. I'll, also, I haven't eaten anything today. So I've like kind of low energy. So I'm trying to like keep my energy.
1: Yeah. I'm in Florida and it's been a long one. It's been a long trip. It's hot.
0: How long have you been there?
1: A couple days now, almost a week and a half. Oh, wow. Are you going back soon? Yep. Yeah, I got to go back. We're, uh, I'm finishing a project. We're in post right now for something that we sold. Um, So I'm working with my editor. I'm going to meet with him next week.
0: Oh, very cool. So I, I, okay. So I want to ask for just some advice for my personal YouTube channel. And I mean, hopefully some other people are in a similar situation. This might help them. Some other people that want to make YouTube content. So right now I have a team of, it's like four of us. Yeah. Like four of us. Um, one of us is particularly good at, uh, cinematography and otherwise the other three are kind of like actors, writers. And, you know, I, am just like trying to figure out, I want to take the YouTube channel to the next level. Our, our content's pretty good, but it could be better. And, you know, I'm just like not sure what the next step is to really up the production. And I'm just I'm not I'm just like not sure. I feel like part of me thinks, you know, I need to build a bigger team with more like, you know, maybe like lighting people or sound people or people that specialize in certain areas. But the other part of me is like, oh, we can just do it ourselves for now. I'm just like not sure how to go about it. And we don't even necessarily have like professional like set experience. It's kind of like, you know we're kind of winging it in a way we have. We're a, all yeah. It in a
1: way. I mean, I'm winging it in a way every day and I'm not by any, like I don't, if I, if I say it or speak as if I come from a lot of experience, I don't mean it. Cause I don't, I'm still very much on the grind too. And I think we're all winging it and I don't have nearly as much professional film experience as some of the people I work with on a day to day basis, but you kind of just got to fake it till you make it in that way. And also when you're making stuff is it like, for you specifically with a comedic sketch team that wants to be, you know, on the internet, don't worry right now about making everything look perfect or pretty. The internet is forgiving in that way. A lot of the time, if you're making a movie that you care about, yes, go all out for the technicality and the beauty of it. But if your cinematographer can point and shoot and has a good eye for it, you're yards ahead of most people. So just be funny. And the hardest part about, trying to be funny as a group of people is understanding your voice. So what is that voice? That's the biggest challenge of any like comedian or person who works in comedy in any way is what kind of voice, what kind of audience are you trying to attract? There's a lot of different kinds of audiences. So understanding your audience and the kind of audience you want is a big part of that. For me, that was something I battled with at Buzzfeed. I don't know if it was necessarily the audience that I needed to, like I loved the audience at BuzzFeed and I thought it was a great demographic of people and very supportive, but it wasn't necessarily a demographic I look to reach out to with my art on a regular basis. You have to understand what demographic do you want the respect of and then try to see how you can hone your voice to appease yourself, which should be that part of that demographic because it all goes back to you being a consumer.
0: That's interesting because our demographic definitely changed significantly and i think it led to us just having no growth for example
1: but do when you say demographic change do you did you guys change was there was there something that happened where you wanted to do something different because for me when i say appease your demographic i don't mean or like think about i don't mean think about your fans too much because you should be making what you want to make but you should be your fan so what kind of voice do you want to have so if you were sitting in a crowd watching your thing would you get the voice would you get the message would you support it? Would you like it? Would you find it funny?
0: Yeah. I see what you mean. I mean, thematically our sketches started out as like making fun of like frat bros and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. we got it like a couple of thousand subscribers. And, um, but then as like the time went on, probably like a year and a half into it, like halfway into it, we've been doing it for almost three years that we just like, we're like, yeah, we don't want to do that much frat stuff. And like, I still find it funny to, like, make fun of them. But, like, the other people in the team aren't into it anymore at all. And, uh, well, basically, the fans are just, like, less into the sketches because the fans are the fan of the old voice. And then we haven't really found new fans for the new voice.
1: I do like to zoom out a lot. Um, I'm, I'm big on business pivots. But to take a proper pivot in business, you have to, like, start somewhere so that you can pivot. So for this example, you guys started with frat bro comedy, whatever that may be. Um, and in my perspective, from what I just heard, like what I would want to do in that regard would be like, Oh, cool. Let's think of some kind of series, you know, an episodic series or even a feature or short film that could feature these kinds of dudes. And we can write a narrative piece that would involve them. And for like a channel, it would be, you know, an episodic series, a digital series. And then we can take that business pivot where it's like the same cast, but we can do a different kind of series that doesn't feature these kind of characters and on a channel that now has subscribers. Um, interesting. That's that's personally how I would treat stuff like I like to zoom out. I like to be like, okay, this is what we have. How can we zoom it back? How can we broaden it? How can we get more? How can we try different things? Uh, if the channel is not literally called frat bro comedy, but you guys hit well with frat bro comedy style sketches, You still have room to grow with like, oh, that cast isn't just guys that are funny doing this. They can be funny doing this or that and also casting different kinds of people. You know, I'm a big fan of when you can feature all kinds of human beings, especially nowadays on um, different process content. So like if you're on a digital platform that has these frappero comics, well, what happens if you change it and do sorority girl comedy? And that's another web series on that same channel.
0: That's interesting. I mean, I'm trying to figure it out. Like right now we have maybe 36 videos up or 37 Mm -hmm. and it's just like kind of all over the place. I mean the first, like maybe 12 or 15 are like of the, the fratty kind of thing, making fun of them in different ways. And then the rest, maybe the other half of the videos are just kind of like kind of totally just random sketches. And I don't, I feel like we haven't really found our voice yet. Or we had it and then we pivoted in a weird way. We pivoted really fast. And then just like, we actually went from having a voice to not having a voice in a way. If that makes sense. Well, that's,
1: that's, that makes a lot. I mean, that makes too much sense because you're just like a young person. So like, that's exactly what happens with, I would say, 95 to 99% of young people is that they have some form of voice, they lose it, and then they have to find a new one. And that's okay. It's not like, when I say find a voice it's not like you should have one by now it's that's the hardest part of doing this. When you talk to somebody that does like stand up comedy I mean the hardest part of being a stand up comic is finding what kind of comic do you want to be? It's you're going to go through multiple faces of co- like you will look different through your like your growth. You're going to try to be this voice, you're going to try on this voice, you're going to try on a little bit of this and that's okay. Like when you're a young artist I think it's very okay to be hypercritical and be very aware of what you like and what you don't like because as you get older, you're just going to start focusing naturally on things that you like. You're not going to have enough time or energy, or at least I don't. I don't have enough time or energy to just focus on all like being hypercritical anymore. And th- I hated this for this reason, and this was so bad, or this is so. I don't like spending my day like that. I only talk about things I want to celebrate and that I enjoy. But for a long time, I was very hypercritical, and I think that helped with me understanding what kind of things I like and what I want to make.
0: Yeah, I think that that is important, to be hyper, be critical to an extent, but not to like just waste away. No, your course. own criticism.
1: Yeah, you don't want to be. I mean, you don't want to just be that person that is just negating everything and never enjoying a thing. You got to enjoy it. I mean, there's a reason we all decided to do this in the first place. We enjoy it. We don't hate it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, do you think
0: that um, when pivoting on something like this? Would it make more sense to just start a different channel that's more thematically like consistent? Do you have any like thoughts on that? Like, uh, I haven't seen a post on the channel or
1: so I haven't taken a look at your specific channel, but I, I, I wouldn't recommend starting a new one or not recommend it. I would just say be okay and willing and open to the idea of. Always pivoting. I mean, I don't know what your. Exa- I haven't seen that channel, so I don't know what the exact pivot is, per se. But there's always room to, for growth. It's either you win or you learn. You don't lose, you know. So the channel is not a loss. But what did you learn from it? What What could you do better on that channel, or what would you do better if you started a new channel, and why would you be doing that? Just and, ask your question.
0: You know? Okay, so you don't think it really matters, like what uh, channel necessarily you put the content on as long as the content you're putting out is just evolving. It doesn't really matter.
1: Yeah. And if it's quality, that was something I had a hard time with with Buzzfeed was they very specifically at the time that we were, at least I was there collaborating and making videos. I was always pushing for a certain kind of quality. I wanted to make television and film style content just on this internet platform. Um I wanted to explore that. And at the time they were not as receptive to it. They wanted to make, you know, 17 people get surprised with dogs which is fine cuz it hits on the internet but you have to understand like well if it's good it's good at, at least that's what that's what i think if it's good it's good if it's funny it's funny if i put this on a channel that people usually come to for this as long as it somewhat fits in the sense of like it may not be i'm not posting a sketch you know on a dog channel that only features like dog funny humor but i'm posting it on a platform that features comedy you know like it's somewhat in the same world. If it's good, it's good. It's going to, it's going to live. So if you're producing good quality content that makes you laugh and it makes you smile and you think it's good, it should work on your platform, on, on your own channel, even if it's a different thing than that frat bro comedy, you know?
0: That's cool. I find that really reassuring because I was yeah. thinking, I, I was thinking of in terms of like just a brand and it's kind of like finding a new voice is kind of like rebranding in a way. And it's like, yeah. do you start a different brand or you keep the brand and just change it?
1: Well, you are always your brand. I mean, no matter what, even if you feel like you're changing, you're still you. You're still your brand in some way. So in the terms of a, a channel, yes, if it's branded as frat bro comedy, it would be a little bizarre to completely rebrand this into just a new thing. But um I don't know. Brand is different than content. I think a brand is the thing that could produce types of content, but the content being produced, as long as it's good and meets certain, you know, ethics and morals, i say in this, in this day and age, then it should be okay on the brand.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I'm just thinking like, it's so interesting to think like you're finding your voice and finding your, like your niche is like, seems kind of like similar in a way, I guess yeah, like, but a little I, different.
1: Oh, with it like again if you just want to be a, like if you're I'm just Austin I want to make funny sketches and I also want to be like an actor there's no reason that you have to put yourself in a in too much of a hole or too much of a niche like as Jared Popkin I'm very quick to remind people like hey I'm not a comedian per se and I, I do a lot of comedy acting but I'm an actor if tomorrow I could have the privilege to work for some amazing filmmaker like a Scorsese or the Cohen brothers or Tarantino, of course I would take a role like that willingly. Like I want that challenge. I'm not saying that's for everybody, but you have to be aware of how far, how narrow do you want to be? Do you just want to be this one thing? And if you do, that's great. Work really hard on it. But if you don't, don't trick yourself into being one thing, allow yourself to have strengths in a lot of, in a lot of places.
0: I agree. I think that's really insightful. You don't have to go so narrow and yeah. then just like stick to I, it. Yeah. I mean, oh, on a lot. Project.
1: but yeah but for for the most part i mean not unless you're specifically working on something and you have to be that person and that thing right now there's no reason you can't be a good improviser and you can't be a good actor that does serious work there's no reason you can't be a good actor and then somewhere down the line you're like actually i found out that i really like cinematography i'm not saying that you would but you don't have to be one thing you can do a lot of things if you want. And if you want to be one thing, work really hard at being that one thing as best as you can.
0: I agree. I think that's really positive. People should do that.
1: Yeah.
0: So what kind of advice would you give to someone? Maybe um, I'm still using YouTube stuff as the example, cause it's the most applicable to me. So like, say someone has a, you know, moderate YouTube channel, like they've been doing it for a while, and they've been doing the do it yourself thing. And they want to take it to the next level, uh, maybe production wise, uh, whatever that may be. What would you think is the next steps?
1: Uh, take yourself as seriously as possible. Don't like shoot your own ego down. I mean, ego can kill things in a lot of ways, but always think of yourself as like worthy of this and important. And um that that'll be the first step because if you take yourself seriously then eventually things will get more serious don't shy away from your ambition and that being said acknowledge what you have acknowledge what your strengths are and then also acknowledge what your weaknesses are and then put together a clear-cut plan that doesn't have to happen by the end of this second or today or tomorrow but work towards you know ideally work towards what you need to do to step up your game if you're a team of four people and one of them is good at camera operating and three guys are funny and you guys make pretty decent comment content well there's a lot of holes you could fill do you have to fill all of them right away no but there's a lot of holes to at least know that exist i could at least say like oh i don't have a camera guy oh i don't have that other camera operator if we wanted to shoot on two cameras i don't have i don't know somebody like that or i don't know a Production designer. I don't know a pre production producer. I mean, at least knowing those things will just open up your world so that when you're out in the world and just living your life, those things will now actually pop out at you. It's the same in like anything. It's like if somebody makes you aware of a new shoe, people may have already been walking around with that new shoe around you, but you never noticed it. But now that you know to look for it, you notice it.
0: That's true. It's like the example with, uh, maybe someone getting a new car and then they start noticing that car everywhere. So it's like a common psychology kind of thing.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a normal thing. I, I mean, yeah, I'm sure that's common because it is. And it's just, I may not get all these answers right away, but it's the same way that I reorganize my notes constantly on my phone. I can't just be writing notes and let them get buried. They have to go under like subsections so that I can get back to them and just see them every now and again so that I can keep my eye and my mind, like looking for things that can fit.
0: So what are some examples of, like, key uh, production people that one might need to really up the ante in, uh, you know, the quality of production? And then how might one find them beyond maybe just, like, having met them at I um, set?
1: I don't know if there's one answer to that. Sometimes, I mean, I, the perfect answer is, like, find a guy who can – or find a woman and, or a man who can – just produce the hell out of shit that you create and they love every idea you have and they know all the people in the world to create contact and they know all the favors they can pull, but that those people don't always exist. So like become that person every day, like make yourself a producer. Even if you're not producing, you should always have the ability to think that you could, if it's your own project, like you have to be aware of how to talk to a director, why the director is spoken to this way and how they speak back to you and why a cameraman says this word, versus this word, why they speak. Just always better yourself at upping the end. I know it's a very broad and generalized answer to that, but um yeah, I don't think there's one person that you're gonna find that's gonna up your channel or up your team right away. It's a matter of finding people you want to work with. Loyalty is a big deal. You know, loyalty is not easy to find in entertainment. So find people that you're loyal to that you want to work with, that you trust, that you can when you work together, understand like there's an ego in the room, but it's not for ourselves. It's for the project. So if we talk to a certain way in a brainstorm or we bite at each other in a certain way, we can do that because we're bringing an ego to the project and not to our own friendship. You know, you got to find that stuff. That's going to up your channel way faster than just finding one person with all the answers.
0: Yeah. Rather than just finding a producer that already knows it all. um...
1: Or find that person and shadow them and learn from them. If you were lucky enough to find that one woman or one man who just is like, you know what, I know how to make shit in my sleep and I, and I love your scripts, I'm going to make three of your sketches. If, if that happens, then literally follow them around and watch them do what they do. Because a lot of this is hard work, but it's not impossible work. It's tedious, it's tough, it takes a lot of time. But once you've seen someone do it in front of you, or you've done it in front of yourself, it gets easier and easier and it's more doable in your mind. It's not impossible. It's just hard.
0: I feel like that's a, the best idea i heard in a while. I mean, I'm very, I very much like the idea of like um, modeling after people that are doing, you know, what you want to do and understanding how they do it. And I guess that's kind of the point of the podcast to like uncover those things from other people. So I think, I think that's really cool. I never really thought about that in terms of producing as a whole. I always thought of it as like, just like the little things that the producer would get other people to do. For example, like I, I thought, you know, I don't even know how to say what I'm trying to say.
1: I uh, do want to go, though, cause you just said something that stuck with me that I, I want to comment on, which is, this is something that I think everybody does like in every generation of artistry, which is they all, you know, when we're younger, we go, I want to be like this. I hear a lot of actors or a lot of writers say it's going to be like this movie or it's going to be, I'm going to be just like, like for a long time, I was like, oh, my career, I wanted to, you know, be somewhere in the middle of this actor and this actor. And that's great to know that and have a, a standard and a bar to look at, but don't go too far down that because eventually you want to be able to just say, I want to be Austin Nassau. You know, so like, you don't want to, I don't want to be the next, you know, Jonah Hill or Philip Seymour Hoffman. I just want to be Jared Popkin but understanding what they did for the artistry that I could watch and be influenced by is a huge help to me being Jared Popkin, but I don't want to be the next them. I want to be me.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and I didn't mean it in the sense of, uh, like emulating someone. I may, I mean it more like understanding certain habits that lead to yeah. certain results, for just sure. like more abstractly, not like becoming necessarily yeah. that kind of person.
1: I For, do see that. I worry, I worry that people are like, you're, you don't have to be the next, you know, and you don't have to be Anne Hathaway. You don't have to be that Jennifer Lawrence. You don't have to be that person. You can be you, but you can be inspired by those
0: people. And you know? Anne Hathaway and Jennifer Lawrence might like be doing certain things in common that you might want to be doing to be a great actor in general.
1: Right. Exactly. And it can help you in a lot of ways, but you're not going to be that person. You're not going to be the next Heath Ledger. You can, take things that you love from that and be inspired by it, but you're not going to be Heath Ledger. So just be aware that you're whoever you are, you're going to be who you are, but you can totally take inspiration and influence from people before you.
0: Yeah, totally. (laughs) Just kind of extract the, extract the overarching principles that sort of are like the foundation of their ability. I don't even know ability or just
1: whatever that thing is. Yeah.
0: uh, so that, that's really cool. I, I really I definitely think I'm going to try to like shadow a producer soon because I really I find myself having to produce a lot and I think I could do it better. And I think it would help to find someone to shadow.
1: Well, shadow good people. I mean, you know, shadow who you respect. And also we live in a day and age where like there is literally no such thing as an excuse anymore. You have the Internet for everything. So I, I can't understand how people are like, well, I don't know how to do this thing or I don't understand this because if you really want to understand something, it's a Google search away. It's a YouTube video away. Um, and I know that that seems so easy and cliche, but a lot of the times it it's just sitting at your computer and doing some proper research. Shadowing and immersing yourself on a set would be the best thing you could ever do. But also it doesn't hurt to know like certain terms that you could just look up. And what is a producer – do on a big movie set and that's a weird thing to ask in a google search but it may not be a perfect answer but it may link you into like an hour of sitting at your computer and learning something
0: that's really valuable to just inquire like that and learn because it's so accessible there's no reason to not do that everyone should be doing that
1: yeah and when i learn i, I like to be taught as if like and i know that this sounds dumb and it's like kind of weird but sometimes it's not a bad thing to be like yo teach me this like i'm a five-year-old Teach me this Is if I don't understand any part of it. And you have to explain every single detail to me so that I can really pick it up. I don't feel bad knowing that I'm naive or ignorant to something because I am. That's where I'm at. So you have to start somewhere. So don't be afraid to start from a naive or ignorant point and be like, well, I don't know how to produce, so I probably won't produce. Well, no one knows how to produce like out of the womb. You just you don't start with that knowledge. You have to literally just try it or learn about it and do it.
0: Exactly. I agree. I mean, you can't just know it. So, I mean, I I think asking those questions are really important really digging deep into the details.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I always like working with people like, especially, and I'm not at a place where I'm always the head person by any means, but when I am in a position of like, I'm a producer on something or I'm a writer, I'm whatever it is, directing something. If somebody's asking questions, but they're not getting in the way by any means, they're just really trying to learn. That's never a bad thing. And if someone makes you feel as if you trying to get better at something is a bad thing, they're probably not the best team player. They may make great things. I know some people that are not the best collaborators or team players, and they make amazing art and content, but to grow, you need to be around people that can understand how to like be a team player. Yeah.
0: I think there's a lot of people like that. It's kind of a bummer.
1: It's okay, though. They all exist. We, we need each other. We all rely on one another
0: somehow. Yeah, no, I mean the people that are just, like, not helpful, but they're really good.
1: Yeah, but yeah. in a lot of ways, learning how to work with people like that is very helpful.
0: That's a good point. because you know? It's a skill in and of itself. Yeah. So, I have one question. It's kind of random, but it's something I've been just thinking about in terms of like, creative control in a project, and it's balancing... Uh, the the creativity of the writer director and camera person and editor because it seems like all those four things that uh, very much influence the outcome of the project and you would think that you know the the person that wrote the the piece would like I feel like initially, the person that writes the piece might feel as though they have the most creative control, but then I feel like it's really uh, diversified with those other elements because it, each of those elements is like can has the opportunity to change the entirety
1: of the piece. So usually that's actually like kind of a misconception I've noticed with a lot of people including myself I've dealt with this coming from sketch comedy too, like a big one. In most projects, as the writer, you have all the control when you're making it, when you're writing it, right? So if you're the writer and you wrote this thing, if it's a script, a feature film, or a sketch, whatever, you have all the control. You're writing it. But once you've written it and you have chosen, you know, or not chosen, let's say you're a writer at the biggest stage. You've already sold it. Now almost all of your control is out the window. You can consult and give your insight on what you were thinking, but you sold it. Somebody's going to make it how they want to make it. And if it's at a lesser scale, like if you're for you guys, if you wrote something and you said, I wrote this sketch and I want so-and-so to direct it. Well, okay, you wrote it. Now you gave it to or you want so-and-so to produce it. So-and-so produces it. They hire on a director. The director has the story to tell, but they get to make it how they make. I mean, the writer only has so much power after it's been written and the team has been formed. So the producer has a certain amount of say, the writer has a certain amount of say, the director will have a certain amount of say, the cinematographer, the camera operator will have a certain amount of say. But if anybody ever takes too much say, especially on a scale of what you guys are doing right now versus like a large, huge project, it's going to not come out, you know, the way I think everybody wants. It's probably not going to be as good unless somebody is just better than the team, which is unfortunate. But you all have to be good at giving up and taking the power. So as a writer, sometimes you have to go, listen, this is when I wrote it. I was thinking this This is how I envisioned it. I didn't see this at all. And the director should also have the power to say, listen, I know you didn't see this at all, but I think this is more how I envisioned it. And this is what I wanted. And there's got to be either a compromise or someone has to be good enough to throw their ego down and say, okay, whatever's better for the project.
0: Oh man, that's so interesting. So for, like I noticed like a lot of (laughs) times what we'll end up doing is we might have two or three people like
1: co-directing and that could become a little messy. Um, yeah, sometimes that can be fun, but it's probably most of the time very messy. And what I would recommend is none of this right now at your like at our age, cause we're very similar in age. I, I talk as if I'm an old man, I'm not I'm, <laughs> I'm a young, but like at our age, nothing you make unless you're literally selling it for millions of dollars and you're about to go on to your life as a famous successful celebrity, whatever that is like right now you just making a sketch don't overthink it you one of you should have the opportunity of directing a sketch and then the next one someone else will direct it because you should get used to having that power to say to a writer or a cinematographer that's not what i'm thinking i want this because you're the director you know like a writer has all that power until he gives it to the director it's the director's choice to make now and the producer needs to know when to let the director do his thing and also tell the director no we can't do that because i'm the producer there's like a there's power plays, but it's not supposed to be, like, in a mean or aggressive way or some Game of Thrones-style thing. Like, you guys aren't fighting each other. You're on the same team. You can fight with one another, but at the end of the day, what you're fighting for is the same thing.
0: Yeah, that's important to remember.
1: It's a huge part of it. I don't, I don't really understand. That's. I don't work with a lot of people if I read that they're, like, putting their ego more importantly than the project. You can... We can argue, we can fight, we can go back and forth. And I, I don't mind that in coll- in collaboration. That's why I work with certain people, people that can look me in the face and tell me I'm wrong. And I can tell them they're an idiot and they're wrong. But at the end of the day, we know that we're not idiots. We're both on this really cool thing. And we're only fighting this much because we care about the thing that we're making together.
0: That makes sense. I mean, you guys are in it for the same reason. So
1: yeah, I don't want to make something if it's going to be bad. I didn't sign up for this project to fight with you for 12 hours on set only to make a bad thing
0: how would you like define the relationship between the maybe director producer and cameraman for example when executing the sketch
1: depends on who you're i mean that's a not every camera or cinematographer is going to work the same with every director and not every director is going to work the same with a cinematographer that's a matter of you guys feeling each other out going i mean If you guys have a in a perfect world in my world, I like having directors like the way I like to direct because I'm not a technical guy. I don't have too much technical background. I like working with actors. That's where I'm comfortable. I can be very good with my actors. I can direct. I have some sort of I have an idea and vision of what I want the shots to kind of look like. But in a perfect world for someone like me, I have a very technical cinematographer who really understands the in and outs of all the technicality and like with his camera why he can do this why he can't do that why we would do it from here and not there and he can check me on any form of technicality so i can really just focus on what i really want for my performances and i can kind of explain well i thought the shot would come from the right and kind of float in how do you do something like that you know for me whereas other people may not be that way there might be a director who's really good technically and not the best with his actors and he works really well with his cinematographer but he doesn't get the same performances that another director would get but he yeah. gets a better, you I guess know, it's just different
0: All- styles. Yeah. Different skill sets and being a director, those little sub skill set.
1: Yeah. And it's never going to be the same relationship with every person in every field. It's always going to be different because they're people They're They have a title, but like they're human beings with their own unique experiences and background and training. So, you know, I mean, You could have that one cinematographer who happens to be like oh i studied musical theater when i was in college and i can really talk to actors and it's like well you're not even that's so what you know like you could have that guy but you may not you probably will have a more you know i come from a film background um you know it's it's a weird example but everyone will be different and how you work together will always be different and you should always be you know working towards finding more and more people just because I have a team of great camera operators doesn't mean I'm not going to go and like take note of who's great on the next set I'm working on and be like, Hey, what's your story? Hey, I might need you for this, this, and this.
0: Interesting. So from your experience for like a storyboard, for example, uh, who would typically make it? Would it be the director? It's the director collaborating with the cinematographer. You Would you say the cinematographer is leading the effort or the director?
1: Oh, that, that's another one that I think depends. Like uh, I think if a director that you're working with happens to, like, I cannot draw like in the slightest bit. Like I actually get very upset when I start drawing. (laughs) You get upset. Like I'm competitive with myself. So like the fact that I can envision something on a paper and I can't draw it bothers me. Um, So if I were to be, again, if I were to be working with someone who's a cinematographer and we were sitting down working on a storyboard, yes, the cinematographer, if he could draw like even stick figures, he should do it. And we can talk about it together. And erase or start over as many as you want but if you have a director like going back to chris chris is not the best drawer but i've seen him draw the storyboards he can draw it we can understand what his storyboard looks like
0: and basically like for example in that example chris would come up with all the shots
1: well it's not that he's coming up with all the shots he's wrong ra- he's drawing a storyboard and then he would sit with our cinematographer and they would talk about it And for the most part would probably try their very best to stick exactly to what that is. But then there's going to be plenty of times where the cinematographer should feel the Liberty to say, Hey, Chris, I think it would be better if we do this or Hey, so-and-so, I think it would be better if we do this. And then so-and-so in that position could also be like, great. I love that idea. You have to have that trust. You have, you can't go in and expecting that whatever you're about to make is exactly already made in your head. That's impossible. You can't be like, I've already made this in my head. I know it's shot for shot, cut for cut. You're not, there yet, as a young artist, even if you were an adult, you should not many people on this planet would successfully do it that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, something for me that's just like super slowing me down in the process is I'll have an idea, I'll have it written, and then the actual filming of it, unless it's already like storyboarded out shot for shot, it, it gets very difficult to other or impossible.
1: Yeah, and that, that's a big part of the technical side of you want to get better because that was hard for me. You have to understand like weird things like coverage. like Normal people don't think about like to get that shot and have this scene shot from here, here, and here, you have to get better and better just like, well, he said it in this way and he has to say it this way over here for this camera. You have to be very good about the little technical things and the only way you get better at little things like getting the proper coverage is just shooting as much as you can and understanding from failing we made that sketch three weeks ago that we didn't get the proper coverage from that back shoulder shot. Oh, we won't do that again. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. It's just like doing it over and over again.
1: Yeah. You live and you learn, but you don't lose type thing. Or you win and you learn, you don't lose.
0: That's cool. Yeah. I'm still just trying to understand the whole storyboarding thing. I find it so daunting because like I'm not necessarily the best at uh, figuring out all the shots or what they should be but i have an idea of how i want the sketch to go and i noticed that uh because of that um a lot of a lot of our sketches our cinematographer will end up directing them because he has ideas for the shots but sometimes it's a bit like i would i don't start, really like that
1: yeah so what i would do the, the way i still do this on like most like you know internet shoots would be on the shot list we have basic coverage always so like it, it actually makes when you work with a lot of improvisers that are your actors it, you want the extra time to shoot with them so that they can make shit up and improvise and like be funny or be not just necessarily improvise and be funny but just improvise good shit mm-hmm. so with that being said the way i always feel the most free to do that is i know that i need a basic two shot of these people in this exchange and i definitely need a dirty over the shoulder onto his punch in, which basically means, you know what that means? Like, uh, I need to feature like behind his back to look at this guy. And then I need to feature behind his back to look at this girl. I need to have that coverage for sure. My basic coverage. Yeah. So I need that basic two shot and I need the basic close ups on both of my actors or two or three of my actors, whatever. And, once i've gotten the basic coverage then i start letting everybody include my actors my cinematographer if we've gotten basic coverage on an internet sketch the comedy needs to already be funny enough to just watch it but if we already got the coverage to definitely get that we can start doing that weird camera movement you wanted to try and we can start saying those lines differently the way you wanted to say them the first time but we definitely got it the way the script was once maybe twice for safety so now we can start messing around because there's probably a lot of better shit that we can find once we're messing around.
0: Interesting. So a lot of so the basic coverage is just sort of like you're getting like all that you're doing you might repeat the whole sketch on just a close up of like each character.
1: Yeah, well, I mean I just want that coverage so like if you if you wrote a sketch of two people sitting at a bus stop, right? It's a guy and a girl at a bus stop and then a third guy walks up or a third person walks up and um the comedy happens and then that they all get on the bus and then it's over right yeah well i I definitely need a wide shot of the bus stop so i can see all three of them i need that two shot until the guy walks up and then i definitely need close-ups on all these people that's basic coverage so like i don't know exactly how that shot looks but i know what those shots are they're a two shot a close-up and a wide you know i know without a storyboard i can tell you kind of what that's going to look like And once I get all of those basic pieces of coverage, maybe if I didn't know necessarily, like I know I need that and I don't have any creative ideas of how this is going to be shot after that, but I know I need this because that's what my script is. It's a conversation at a bus stop. Then you can give that freedom to the cinematographer you bring on like, Hey, I'm shooting this sketch at this bus stop. Here's the idea. I need this, this and this. And then after that, do you have any ideas for stuff you want to play with? And then next thing you know, this guy brings out a dolly and he's like tracking it and he like walks up with the third guy and like, next thing you know, he's got a steady cam and he follows them up on the bus and you get this amazing shot that you didn't think about because that's not your field of strength, but you got it because you brought on somebody cool that can do that stuff. And you still got the coverage you wanted.
0: That's awesome. That's a great way to think of it. Get you the basic coverage and then just go for the more fancier kind of things.
1: Yeah. Especially with sketch comedy for the internet. If that's really what we're talking about, which is what I'm like focusing on for like this kind what you're talking about. I would definitely think like that. Cause it's, it's less stress you're definitely getting what you want at the end of the day it's not the shot being a two shot perfect two shot is not as important as what you wrote what is being said at the bus stop scene because like it could be a really boring scene so the shot's not going to make it any less boring unless it's a really intricate and fun shot but even if it was an amazing shot and it's like really artistic and quentin tarantino-esque if the scene's not good the scene's still not good
0: yeah that's true it's really interesting because like a lot the type of shot that my cinematographer really likes or the sorry the type of sketch that he likes is where it's very visual so it actually ends up relying more on the cinematography for example like it'll be like a close-up on you know a hand grabbing like chips or like a pan up the person's body like i don't like very specific like visual things i don't know how to explain it. it's less like i I actually like um what you're describing sounds like like a typical kind of college humor sketch or like a key and peel sketch um i guess it's a little different or maybe i i'm thinking it it must be a little different for more visual sketches like that like i'm describing
1: but even if you zoom out going back to like zooming out all the time yeah if you zoom that idea like what is the idea why is it funny past the visual gag of what you're talking about like Oh, but here's the joke. What's in the bag of chips that we zoomed in? Like, that's fine. But what is the, what is the funny? What is the comedy or not necessarily just in comedy? What is the content? What is the climax? What is, what is the part that I'm watching? You want to talk about like an improv rule that I try to live by is today's the day. So like, yeah, these characters have existed for however long they've existed. Their lives have gone before this and after this, but why am I watching this?
0: Yeah, there was, you can't
1: won't win me over with some funny like i mean you can with a younger audience and definitely with the advent of like the vine type platforms and that kind of comedy and how people push in on instagram and stuff you can make certain things funnier just based off the cinematography but what am i really watching past that you know
0: yeah i know what you mean uh an example of kind of what we did in one of our sketches we this guy like choked on a, a cheeto he's like with his friends and there's, like, this, like, whole slow motion thing where he's reaching into the bag, grabbing a Cheeto, pulling it out. You see the – it's, like, a sideways shot of, like, the hand bringing the Cheeto in slow motion up to the guy's mouth. And then, like, the slow motion of the Cheeto landing in his mouth kind of thing. Yeah. I mean – That was, like, a silly, like, little thing. but
1: Yeah, and that's silly. And we know the comedy and we, like, it's not – innovative enough to the point where it's like I don't know if this will work it's like yeah it's a slow-mo gag bit reveal that the guy's dropping it in somebody else's mouth like we've seen stuff like that we know it will work we understand the comedy so even if you want to shoot it in a crazy way I still know what the funny part is that I'm shooting I can't just rely on the thing that like if I'm relying on how I'm shooting something to make it funny then I'm probably not making something I really am gonna love
0: interesting I like that
1: I want to be able to read a script, even if it's like, when, even when I read people's scripts that are very visual writers that write, like there's not a lot of dialogue on the script. Think about movies like, um, I don't know. They're not even like necessarily my favorite movies, but that movie with like Clooney and the American or what that Ryan Gosling movie drive, these guys barely speak for like an hour and a half to two hours. And there's a lot of scenes in a feature film. So like, yeah, there's no dialogue, but that all of that direction still had to be written. So how clear is your direction? How do I, read it so that I can still understand what I'm following versus just reading like a hand goes into a chip bag, That's chip true. Bag. you yeah, know,
0: if it the way it's written, I'll, you'll see that stuff. If it's key to the, yeah, I,
1: it's written well, I can font. imagine it follow with it. Yeah.
0: That's cool. That's a good point. So
1: yeah.
0: it might be just like, and maybe in just having more descriptive writing to maybe,
1: Yeah. It's, it's a fun challenge to play with as a writer is like to almost write sometimes on purpose with too much description. Like that's a weird thing that I try to do sometimes and it's not as easy as it sounds and it's not as hard as it could seem. I know that's weird, but like just to write with too much description can be like a really good exercise.
0: I think that's great because just having more visual description in the script itself that just sounds like it might be better for shooting it at the end of the day. I feel like there'd be way less ambiguity because you're doing oh, the work there.
1: Of course. And with any department on a film set or in, in my opinion, any art that you could create, I would always, especially as a director or producer, I would always, or being an actor, I would always prefer to rein back and have to bring more out it's a lot easier to go too much and then bring it back in than it would be to like, Oh, we don't have enough. We need to like push more out or shoot more out, whatever that is. But like I'd rather someone go crazy and bring it in versus not having enough and have to be innovating on the fly.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I agree. That's a really cool thing. And
1: with writing like, yeah, bring back the details. We don't need this many details is a way better note than like, we need more details.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: The same with acting. We don't need this much, whatever, but but it's better than hearing we don't bring it back versus, hey, I need more from you. Yeah, That's
0: a way, it's easier you know? to cut than just kind of invent at last second, where, yeah, where the quality might not even be up to par.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Cool, man. Well, this is this is like super insightful. I feel like I really like learned a lot from deep diving into those kind of like producing details that I don't, I feel like I haven't really asked into that much detail before, but those well, are I things mean, that have been plaguing me. And,
1: I get it. That's cool. And you know, with you, I have a different banter than like with another person. Cause we, you know, have a back and forth and I happen to be producing lately, but yeah, acting is definitely the focal point, but producing is fun to talk about for me. Yeah. And I, I like puzzles. Yeah. And
0: that's really cool. And I think we're definitely going to, like in the next few podcasts, we'll have you back and we can dive more into the acting side of things. But I was just very curious about your producing work and I'd love to hear about more of your acting stuff soon.
1: Oh, no, for sure, dude. I appreciate you having me on. It was fun.
0: Sweet, man. Are there any things you want to like plug or talk about before <laughs> we finish the things up?
1: uh well the thing i just sold i can't talk about yet but keep my plug is keep your eyes and ears open on jared popkin how about that
0: that's awesome keep your eyes and ears open on jared popkin
1: everyone that's that's my plug just watch out for me (laughs)
0: watch out he's coming
1: yeah thanks awesome
0: sweet well thanks man i really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk for so long of course brother thank you thanks okay Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to Working Comic Podcast. There's a new episode every week where I interview writers, directors, comedians, producers, any kind of creative thing you can think of, and also the business side of things. So, club owners, agents, managers, festival runners, all that stuff. So, tune in every week. And uh, also, follow me on social media at TheAustinNasso on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram And you can also catch me on YouTube with Chabros, C-H-A-A, bros, one word. Uh, We have some funny videos up, so check it out. Thanks, guys.